Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Connor Fraser. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at beyond underscore headlines. That's B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. It's no secret that Toronto has become an expensive place to live. In this episode, we look at housing affordability through the eyes of those on the ground. First, my colleague Sky connects with Dr. Stephen Huang to discuss links between homelessness and lack of affordable housing. Next, my colleague Abdullah speaks with two representatives of ACORN, the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, to gather their thoughts regarding inaction by Toronto City Council. In particular, they focus on Toronto's inclusionary zoning policy. Let's hand things over to Sky for our first segment. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Beyond the Headlines of 2021-2022. My name is Sky and I'm very pleased to be your host today. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Huang, a physician and research scientist at the St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. He focuses primarily on homelessness, health and housing. Additionally, he, he is also a full professor at the um, Faculty of Medicine at U of T and at the Dalla, Dalla Lana School of Public Health at U of T. Prof Huang, thank you very much for being a guest. Nice to be here. We will be having a very timely conversation about a topic that has been in the headlines um, more and more often, especially since COVID, homelessness in Toronto. I've been here for less than two months now, and I've been noticing a pattern of um, seeing encampments, tents, and parks, and seeing an abundance of people who desperately need help in shelters and unfortunately, increasingly in the streets. I saw that you had an interview with TVO three months ago, and I simply wanted to know um, what the root causes of homelessness in Toronto is. Has it been amplified since COVID or that has been a long um, standing issue? The, the problem of homelessness in Toronto uh, is really a, a, a long standing one with its roots in the uh, uh, extreme lack of affordable, deeply affordable housing in our city. Uh, this is a problem that dates back to a change in federal policy more than 20 years ago that uh, resulted in a, the cessation of the creation of new affordable housing. At the same time, we've also seen a number of other intersecting crises that have uh, uh, contributed to the problem of homelessness. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, an increasing number of people who uh, do not have uh, adequate income or supports We've seen an increase in uh, uh, substance use disorders and particularly uh, uh, opioid uh, use that has contributed to the problem of homelessness. And we've also seen uh, problems with uh, inadequate mental health and 
physical health supports to prevent people who have illnesses from uh, ending up becoming homeless. So it's really a, a conjunction of a number of factors and made all the worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you believe that the government has been doing anything, if at all, in the past 20 years? Or they're talking about this and they don't really have any concrete solutions so far? Well, I think when we talk about government and action on homelessness, we have to distinguish between the federal, provincial, and municipal levels. Uh, the municipal government uh, in our city has made a number of efforts to provide shelter and supports to people, but the problem is that the solution to homelessness is not shelters. The solution to homelessness is housing, and uh, it's beyond the means or the jurisdiction of a city to uh, create affordable housing. So it really requires the federal and provincial governments to uh, 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 allocate enough funding to enable the creation of affordable housing, either through new construction or through rent supplements. So I think that the, you know, the, one can argue about whether or not the city is doing enough or not, but fundamentally the problem is one that cannot be solved by the city acting alone. You've mentioned a series of factors leading up to the worsening problem of homelessness, namely the housing market and the poor mental state um, and health of many, many of those homeless people. I would like to zoom in on those issues a little more. Do you believe that the private sector has become too influential and powerful? I think the answer is yes, but it's primarily because the creation of housing is one that should be regarded as a public good rather than a private good that's going to be purely governed by you know, the economic markets. So I think that the problem is that um, you know, though housing developers are seeking to maximize their profits, and that means the creation of housing for those who are rich. <laughs> and the, the, the challenge is that uh, we, we, it, the, the, it's a, it's a, there's a market failure. There's, there's just not a, a, a market incentive to create deeply affordable housing or even moderately affordable housing. There's a market incentive to create luxury housing and condos for cars. So I think that this is a classic example of where we need government intervention to correct the imbalances created by a purely free market driven system of, of housing creation. Do you believe that this is likely to change in the future? Well, I mean, I have to be optimistic that because these are problems that I think fundamentally can be solved. These are not problems that are unsolvable, that we know how to address them. It's just a matter of having the political will and the public, uh, I guess, uh, consensus that it's important to do. So it's this is not something that is technically uh, impossible or even difficult to do. Uh, what there needs to be is a recognition that there is a, there's an enormous cost, a negative impact to continuing to do things the way we're doing them. And we ultimately all bear that cost uh, in the, um, you know, in the quality of life in our cities, in the ability of our young people to be able to afford to live in the cities where they work. 
in the ability of of people to be able to thrive and be healthy. And so, you know, as long as until we recognize that we need to address the housing crisis uh, in order to achieve better well-being for everyone, uh, we're going to struggle with this problem. Speaking of which, do we know of any cities that have, that have been able to solve this issue of homelessness and that Toronto can look up to? That's uh, there, there. There are some area jurisdictions that have greatly reduced or even almost eliminated homelessness. It is they're they're quite different situations. So it is possible in some uh, small sized uh, cities to eliminate homelessness because. First of all, there's a relatively uh, small number of people experiencing homelessness in the range of, you know, a hundred or uh, a few hundred people, and yep. there is uh, the the city is small enough or or structured in a way that there is affordable. It's possible to create affordable housing for that number of people without uh, an, uh, an a significant uh, additional investment. So that is. It is possible in small, smaller communities. In larger cities, it really requires a, uh, a, nation, a national commitment to eliminating homelessness. And certainly countries like Finland have yes. uh, been very successful in uh, almost eliminating homelessness by prioritizing the creation of housing for people and the housing first approach. I want to go back for, um, onto the issue of correlation, sorry, between mental health and homelessness. Do you think that it's safe to say that the mental health of people in general in Ontario, in Canada, or in Toronto has decreased in recent years? And if so, how can we prevent this from happening? First of all, there's very clear evidence that the mental health of uh, the population has declined during the COVID pandemic. Correct. Um, I think that it's also important to recognize that uh, mental health issues are an individual level factor that increases a person's vulnerability to becoming homeless, but it doesn't, or their likelihood of becoming homeless, but it's not in and of itself an explanation for why the, there, are, there are people who are homeless in our society. Because if you think about it, um, you know, we have always had people who've struggled with mental health problems throughout history, just as throughout the history of civilization, there are people who have had uh, substance use problems. And the, the number of those individuals who actually experience homelessness is really determined by systemic or structural forces within our society. In other words, how we structure uh, our our, our, our provision for those who are in need and our structure uh, of how we provide housing for people, whether or not there's adequate uh, affordable housing. So I think that the, you know, how do we address this? I think it's a two-pronged approach. We have to think about how can we make healthcare and supports more available to those who need them most. This actually makes sense we should be devoting our, our health care and support resources to those who need it most. Uh, so, uh, you know, devoting, dedicating these resources to people experiencing homelessness makes imminent sense because these are the people who are in the greatest need and who are using, you know, our hospitals and emergency rooms at, at high levels. 
But that's only one part of the equation. What we also need is appropriate housing for people because healthcare alone or housing alone are not sufficient to address the problem. Do you believe that going forward, Canada nationwide is committed to solving this issue, this big issue of homelessness? I don't think we've made a fundamental commitment uh, to solve the problem. I think that we're, I think we're, we, we've moved, I think, towards recognizing that it's an enormous problem that needs to be addressed, that can't yeah. be uh, ignored. Uh, I'm hopeful that we will ultimately take the steps necessary to really address the issue definitively, uh, but we aren't there yet. Do you think that it would take a different leader, a different government, more NGOs, more advocacy for us to get there? Or through time, we'll eventually get there in a way or another? Uh, I think that often leaders respond, uh, rather than uh, kind of uh, charging ahead with a vision, they often follow the, the, they follow the will of the people. So if, if we as Canadians made it clear that we expect and demand certain changes in policies, yes. then leaders will listen to us. And I think that we have to, I think, build that voice collectively as people rather than waiting for uh, political leaders to, um, to, to uh, change their minds or to uh, guide us in the right direction. I think we need to push for change. Thank you very much. On my last question, we've touched on that already as a formality though, since we were talking about that preventing um, declining mental health issues on that regard, do you believe that there are some very applicable and relatively easy ways to prevent homelessness overall besides the house market? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I think that, you know, the people experiencing homelessness come from all walks of life and there's a different story for each person. So if you're trying to prevent homelessness, you have to look at those different pathways and uh, tailor different solutions for different situations. If I were to uh, identify a couple of really ma important major pathways that are, uh, I think, uh, opportunities for prevention, I would say one would be addressing the problem of children living in uh, foster care uh, who age out of the system and who are very high risk for becoming homeless because they don't have family supports to depend on. Uh, secondly, I think the 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 uh, you know the injustices that Indigenous people have experienced historically underlies the fact that they are vastly disproportionately represented in the homeless population. And so, I think addressing Indigenous rights and Indigenous well-being it would be is essential to addressing the problem of homelessness. Uh, and I guess, lastly, uh, if when we're trying to, to prevent homelessness it would be very reasonable to focus on people who are facing eviction because those yes. individuals are, are clearly going to become homeless if they're evicted and, and preventing these, those evictions uh, could, could uh, reduce the uh, uh, number of people who are becoming homeless. Last but not least, I don't mean to put you on this spot, Dr. Fine, but from my own curiosity, I've read that in 2018, the sir has reported, 
reported roughly 10,000 um, people being homeless in Toronto, more or less. Now in 2021, how many homeless people do you have an estimate in the city of Toronto? The, uh, the best data on the prevalence of homelessness in Toronto comes from the city's street needs assessment, which is uh, a point in time count. So essentially they look to see what's the number of people who are homeless on a single day in um, uh, March or April. So it's, uh, it's not an account of the number of people who are homeless during gotcha. the entire year. Okay. It's just the number of people at that moment in time. And what we've seen is that the number of people experiencing homelessness actually went up dramatically. And this, the survey is not done every year. So what we saw was that the total number of people experiencing homelessness went up dramatically uh, between okay. 2013 and 2018. Okay. And that was primarily because of an increase in the number of refugees in the shelter system. Gotcha. With the advent of COVID, what's happened is that the number of refugees in Canada has dropped, uh, but the number of people experiencing homelessness uh, has actually, um, you know, uh, uh, risen. Uh, uh, it's well, it's not risen in absolute numbers, but it's it's uh, the the drop in refugees has been counterbalanced by an increase in the number of other people experiencing homelessness. So we have not seen a uh, a significant drop. What's happened is that the um, the, the number of people who are visibly homeless to people just going about their daily lives in the city has increased dramatically. And that's because people have moved out of, largely because people have, uh, uh, some people moved out of shelters or, or are avoiding shelters. Those were all the questions for you today. Do you have any concluding remarks or comments? Um, no, just uh, it's uh, very nice talking to you, and it's a you know it's an incredibly important issue that uh, uh, I hope that uh, everyone uh, is becomes more engaged with. Thank you very much. See you soon. Bye. Have a good afternoon. Thank you to Sky and Dr. Huang for sharing those insights. Our next guest is Marcia Stone. Marcia joined Acorn in 2019 and has become an active member and leader in her community, now serving as the co-chair of ACORN Canada's Weston Chapter. She believes that your postal code should not determine the quality of your housing, and that's why she continues to fight for healthy homes for all, and on other important housing campaigns led by ACORN. Let's pass things over to Abdullah for his segment with Marcia. My name is Marcia Stone, and I am co-chair of Weston Chapter, ACORN Chapter. And so explain to us um, what ACORN wanted from this inclusionary zoning vote and um, what delimitations were. So we'll get to, we'll get to what happened with the vote in a, in a moment, but let's, let's start with our, our demands. Well, the demands were that we wanted 20 to 30 percent of... <laughs> anything being built from now on 100 units and up 60 units and up it didn't matter any new development we wanted 20 to 30 percent of it to be affordable and deeply affordable for 99 years so that means that if somebody that moved in that apartment was paying affordable rent then and they moved out that the landlord could not jack that up that was saving our vacancy uh 
uh, space um, right. so that we wouldn't run out of vacancy, right? And you just kept, would keep the flow going, you know? And we wanted it implemented uh, sooner than later. Right. Um, the city, even though the city did a study and it shows that what our demands were, were not impossible. They still decided to um, give us a five and an 8%, but phase it in, in certain parts of the city um, right. that, that, I, that would be IZ zone, in, you know, that would be inclusionary zoning developments. And um, that wouldn't be implemented until 2030. Right. Well, wait now, wait now. Why is it that when it comes to low to moderate people, this, you know, marginalized piece of disenfranchised people, it's always mm -hmm. us that have to compromise. Right. It, the studies get delayed, delayed, delayed. The timelines are not true and, mm -hmm. and, and not respective of, of the reality that people are living in every day. Right. And so, you know, um, we've been fighting for this for so long. They, they know um, that what we're saying is right. However, because developers are putting the pressure on them, they don't want to stand up. So even with 20 to 30% inclusionary zoning and all the developments are in the future, that still allows developers to make 15% profit right. and land, landowners 10%. So yes. what's the problem? It's pure greed. Would you rather make some money or no money? You know, that's the, it's dollar signs all the way through. And, you know, the thing that's so sad is that this is a human right. Housing yeah. is a human right. Health and safety is a human right. And so how do we allow the government to infringe on people's human rights on a daily, regular basis? And they give the tools to these landlords and these developers to keep the people uh, intimidated, mm -hmm. um, scared to speak up. And again, that's illegal. That's yeah. against the law. So why is it that we are allowing these people to break the law? I've said all along, there's loopholes that they're using and it's time we start using those loopholes against them. Um, we, you know, we need legal because anything that we want, it has to be legally done, whether it's in the form of a bylaw, a policy, whatever, um, legislative, you know, uh, item, make it a law. Then once it's a law, then there's penalties that go along with that, breaking those laws, right? So it, it's, it's um, you know, I don't think that acorn is demanding anything remember acorn is built up is a membership community union so it's tenants the people that, that these people represent that are demanding now we're not asking anymore we're demanding these human rights and stop putting the developers over the people Absolutely. because you know it's 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 ridiculous to me it's it, from the day i started going to an acorn meeting I've been just totally fabricated at what I hear from the tenants over and over again. And I right. keep saying, that's a health violation, yes. pest control, that's a, and mold, that's a health, that's a health violation. Uh, 
you know, that's illegal. You know, when I'm hearing these things, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's illegal. That's illegal. Yeah. Plain and simple. Um, so, so I guess we've had this vote where, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but currently where we stand is the city has said they're going to increase from eight to 22% uh, the amount of affordable housing by 2030. We had hoped that they did it by 2025. They ignored, they, you know, ignored that. And they decided that we're going to aim for 2030 with this 22%, which probably will still have, you know, implications, implications. Um, You know, um, like I said, it's this whole timeline business of implementing things when you know it is the right thing to do. If it's done in other cities, why do you need three year study or whatever to figure out what did they do? What's on your books? Look and see what you can do for the people now. I, like I've said, people are going to be dying before 2030 comes in that need the service now, not later. And the fact that they keep these dates, this, it, it, it just aggravates me because, like I've said, city council has come and had a meeting. After the budget was passed last year, when they were looking for money for the uh, cameras, body cams, right. for, and at the same time, one of the councillors was asking for a percentage of the police fund to be put aside in next year's budget for right. the communities, right? They had no problem passing that money. You yeah. know what I mean? If you can do things and do emergency things and do this and that, why can't you work with that kind of urgency when it comes to people's human rights and their right. health and safety, you mm-hmm. know? And so this 2030 business, it just, I'm sure their study shows that it could be implemented long before that. Hundred You know what I'm saying? There's lots of models out there. You know, you don't try to reinvent the wheel. You look and see what's out there. You take bits and pieces and put it together to work for your system, you know, work in your city. And like, um, like Montreal, where they have a 40%, uh, you know, right. Already. That is, that, that's not a city that's that different from our own. So I don't understand why we can't follow that model here. Well, you know, you know how during the meeting, they, they, they fit. Oh, may, you know, maybe we can refer it back to city staff. To have a look at this, have a look at that. You know what I mean? So it's very disheartening. But the one thing I can honestly say is that they know that ACORN, we are known to be fighters. We are advocates and we're on the streets every single day. And we're not getting any funding from any departments. You know, this is community run. And so you know, they know we're watching and they know we're never going to give up the fight. We've had some big wins over the years on various things and we're determined to win this. Um, Yeah, maybe make adjustments. You know, they can make adjustments because remember, they were trying to wait. They were going to try to look at it again, see if they can strengthen it or weaken it in three years. Uh, And so now they've decided, oh, we're going to do it one year, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of makes sense to me 
If you right. start a program, shouldn't you be, what's that word? The word I'm thinking of, you know, monitoring how right. the pro, what your outcomes, are you, are you failing towards your outcomes or are you succeeding? Can you do things better? So, right. you know, always look at when they do these delays, tactics and so on and so forth. I, I consider it uh, a slap in the face to the people yeah. because you work for us. Yes. You, you know, you work for us. And how dare you determine what my quality of life should be? Absolutely. You know? and, and so, so with the fact that it is going to take until 2030, but also considering that we're fighters, how do we make it happen sooner? What can we do between now and 2025 to, to put this into effect sooner? Well... Difficult question, I'm sure. I mean, uh, it's just, you know, like I say, it, it's a matter of just organizing and organizing with your allies. Because again, we always say voices make changes, right? And I've said it all, I said it at the rally the other day. What do you think would happen if the city was shut down for right. just one day, even right. a couple of hours, if all sectors stopped, mm -hmm. didn't show up for work, mm -hmm. right? Didn't show up for any job. I mean, with the exception of emergency response and those kinds of jobs. But the, if the frontline people, the people that are the resources, the people that are the economy, let's you say they decided, you know, exactly. And that's your economy. They keep talking about the economy. Do you realize the people are your economy? Your resources, exactly. And so what would happen if they shut down the city? Like I said, even if it's for a couple of hours or just one day, yeah. what would happen? That's pressure. You know what I mean? Right. That's like, okay, you got to come to the table and talk now. Right. No more delays. Like they really mean business. And, you know, sometimes it takes an action with everybody on board, everybody that's fighting for the same thing that want to see you change positive change and not coming to the table with their own agenda because mm -hmm. we see that a lot right so organizing you know getting the right people in those positions um, mm -hmm. that understand what their constituents need you know uh, passing bylaws you know uh, one of the things we were talking about and I think one of, with one of your questions is how can we uh, push this city, I think it was to do more to promote a, a more affordable, right? And it means taking actions, 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 actions all the time, keeping it at the forefront, being out yeah. there in the media, being out there doing rally. You, you know, everything that we do, uh, it's funny because we haven't had any media coverage with regard to the IC. Not we have we didn't have any media coverage the day that we released our report about the donations that the councillors and the city have been, you know, the government have been getting from these well-organized de developers, right? And so I, I asked that question. I said, well, they're usually out here. Mm -hmm. Why, 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 it, it, you know, what, what is the issue? Why they're mm -hmm. not out here supporting telling the people's story, right? Yeah. And so, like I said, the more you can bring attention, the more you organize and look at the legal ways. Yes. Legal ways 
that we can um, fight some of these battle and challenge these guys on their own in, on their own policies, right? Um, there's lots of policies and, and bylaws on the books that have not been used for years and not been enforced. So right. look at some of those and be creative. You know, we we uh, won the uh, tax on vacant places yes. with that with them with the idea in mind that that money is to go towards affordable housing. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, just little. I mean, it's it's not. We're not going to make giant leaps, but each little step that we take and every little challenge that we win. Right. brings us the outcome that we want eventually and right. to know that it's not just groups like us out here advocating to to them to do the right thing um i think uh i i yeah i was surprised like i said i listened to hear right. the speakers the other day the economists the doctor you know the professionals yes. to hear them on the people's side yeah. I, I was quite interested and they made very valid points that none of those guys could question them on it. You know what I mean? The counselors that were engaged, um, mm -hmm. they were given information. Some of the speakers were providing some uh, documentation that they could look at and refer to. You know yeah. what I mean? So we don't come there with just demands. We come with some kinds of solutions as well, right? right? Yeah, so, they were looking at uh, a study that had been done in the United States that looked at how this affects anything, and it and it's still profitable for the developers, still profitable for everybody. But now people have a place to live, which yes, yes, <laughs> which is the goal, right? That's the outcome yeah. they're supposed to be. Every platform, you know, mm -hmm. that they're talking about. Every time I hear the word affordable, affordable, what do you mean affordable for who? You mean exactly. the people that make over 30,000 and up? What about yeah. the people that make under that or 20,000 and up? like, you know, what about, so. You know, what about people who are working at a Starbucks, people who are, you know. That's what I'm saying. That's that's your economy, right? Yeah. If you didn't have those people, those, those businesses would not be open. They would not right. be running. And the right. fact that you, they were able during COVID to try yeah. to help some of these businesses, but what was the real impact? Where was the real help for the people that needed it right, and right. still need it? Because nobody's recovered from it yet. You know, yeah. the debt, you know, they still have that debt load. And Absolutely. it's unfortunate. But like I say, I believe organizing, getting those legal, yeah. looking at the legal documents, huh. reading the small print. I think they try to overwhelm us and, and, and just, mm. uh, what's the word, just keep compiling uh, obstacles, hoping right. that we will go away. Right. But as we say, the people united will never be defeated. That's right. And and that and I, you know, since I've been a member, I've seen the reports. I've seen with my own eyes when we get out there and do what we do. You know, someone's got to complain. I was just at a at a, a rally. <coughs> yes, last night at one of the buildings, tenants having a problem. And we organized and we went up there. And it, I mean, it doesn't always have, you know, even if it's only five or six members, yeah. it shows that you're supporting the people in your neighborhood. 
Yes. You know, much more so than the, your, your representatives. Right. Right. Uh, it's always heartening to me when I, when I petition for affordable housing or inclusionary zoning, there's so many people who are not interested until I mention those terms. And then all of a sudden they go, that sounds great. Which, which just shows me that the support is so large and so overwhelming. Everybody thinks this is a good idea. I just wish we could get more of these people to come to meetings and come to protest and, and, and actions. I and, feel like we had that. But sort you, of that's and but that's the fact. That's the thing, though, because those land, the intimidation factor is so strong, right? right. The intimidation factor, it's like, oh, why, why bother? Nothing never changes. I hear that, uh, you know, from friends that live in buildings in this city, yeah. um, you know, when, when repairs don't get done. Um, and, you know, we tell people, you don't have to be a member. Don't think you can't come to us because you're not a member. That's not how it works. That's why we're here is because of people coming to us. And like I said, that intimidation factor is, is real for a lot of people um, because they know, they know they don't have anywhere else to go. So why, yeah. why, you know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, I guess, in that case for a lot right. of people, right? At least they know what they got there. They know the mess they're living in you know, the mm -hmm. conditions in which they live. And it, it just, it just upsets me, especially when you know as well, there's kids involved, there's seniors that are living in on, uh, you know, horrendous conditions. And yeah. these people don't seem to think nothing of it. Like, what? yeah, that's not my problem. But it, it's frustrating because we're the ones voting them in, you know, we're, we're, we're the constituents and without us, they, they don't win elections. So, you know, that sort of thing, I, I want to make it so obvious to the people who live in the city that these people are fighting against your best interests actively. Yes. And maybe, maybe we should vote for people who might actually fight for us. And um, that's the other thing too, Abdul, though, there's a lot of people because of the frustration and the, the lack of trust in mm -hmm. the leaders, they don't, they absolutely won't vote. I know people that they'll tell me right out and out, they won't vote, but then I have to let them know your vote counts. Mm -hmm. I said, in your community, look around and see what services you have in your community mm -hmm. and look around in say another friend of yours that lives in a different, that has a different postal code than you and see what services they have in their community. This is why you need to vote. It's not just about putting those people in place. It's to vote to get services in your community for everybody yeah. that lives in the community. That's why your vote counts. And I try to give it to them and explain it to them. And I think with the COVID situation, the lockdown and this and that, I think yeah. they're starting to kind of see mm -hmm. now, because I always say your postal code should not determine the quality of life that you have. And mm -hmm. I remember Faisal saying that one time at a rally. And I thought, what does he mean by that? Mm. And then I realized it's just like the insurance companies. Mm. If you've got a vehicle and you're paying insurance, or a house, you're yeah. going to pay more than Joe Blow that's not at 
your postal code, you know? And so as, and then, like you say, then you started seeing, I started really seeing how true that statement is. Mm -hmm. Um, When I look around and see the things that have gone out of this area, which is a poorer community in their mind, but yet they're trying to bring in condos in this area where there's no other businesses, new businesses coming in, but they're right. going to slap those condos in there, take out a whole block, right. which one of the buildings is probably a historical property. It's sure. been around forever. So that whole block now, they're going to tear that down and put up two condos and none of them are going to be affordable. So um, I, I don't know. I'm glad that you're doing this piece um, about it because I always say knowledge, like, you know, knowledge is power. People don't know their rights. So we put on sessions to inform them of their rights when it comes to a variety of things um, that landlords may try to do. Um, and, and certainly um, networking with, other groups and sharing information makes you stronger. So I believe it's your right. It's our responsibility, I should say, as human beings Mm -hmm. to share knowledge that's going to make a difference in somebody else's life. We're supposed to look after one another. Yeah, literally. There's not a village to raise a child, a village to raise one another, a community to raise each other and uplift each other instead of, you know, putting us down, right? Mm -hmm. So it's our responsibility to speak up for those that don't have a voice or are scared to to speak up. So with regards to, and we've spoken about this in passing, but um, with regards to how certain councillors are receiving campaign contributions from developers, uh, how do we, uh, so and this is so, sort of an open secret, right? Uh, people, yeah, people know yeah. this, including some who are considered housing advocates. Is there a way to, and we can we can end it here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, but. no, no. I, 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 Abdul, the report, I, I was so flabbergasted when I saw the report. I was at City Hall when we did it. On my way back, I, I stopped in Faisal's office and I knocked right on his door. I saw he was in there. Uh, Faisal, I just came from this rally downtown. Here's the report that Acorn has released on the contributions, <laughs> the campaign <laughs> contributions that counselors and certain chair people receive and the yeah. percentage, right? I left my copy with him. I, I, I had to get another copy the other day because I got to keep reading it over and over because it blows my mind. So right. I, I, knowing that I was going to do this with you today, I had to ask Andrew a question earlier, Mike. And I'm saying, with the campaign contributions, right, there must be a set amount that individuals mm-hmm. are allowed to donate. And I think he said, like, for counselors, and again, he was in a meeting, but off the top of it, he said he thought counselors were allowed 1500 uh, the mayor's 2,500, but then he said that maybe up to 5,000 could be spread across the campaign. They could bundle. And, the, and so this is why I wanted to ask the question, because if we're looking at a way to limit them, mm-hmm. 
And they're the only group that organizes to make mm -hmm. those kinds of donations, right? So I would like us, I would like to see us look into uh, legally, of course, what's the maximum they're allowed? Uh, okay, mm -hmm. if the individual can, what's the maximum organizations or corporations can mm -hmm. go donate? And maybe we need to limit that, 100%. right? Maybe we need to limit that and say no, because remember, they want you in their pocket to do their bidding as they're doing right now in the city and have been doing. So I think that's one way to find um, maybe to, you know, maybe they need to, uh, the, the organizations, the caucus, the liberals, the NDP, the PCs, whatever, maybe their people need to start challenging and looking at some of these donate campaign donations they're getting and where they're coming from, right? Um, access to information, I'm sure that's what they use. But I, to 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 be able to say, oh no, no 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 no, you can't make no, that's against the law. You can't do it that way. Put a limit on them. And right. um, they didn't they kick out one of the counselors last year because of his campaign business. You know right. what I'm saying? So <laughs> Jiriakis, I think his name was. So right. buddy, one of them got 59% of his campaign contributions. 59. That's so insane. you had 59, 42, 38. I think Nunziati had 30 something as well. You know what I mean? And these are people that are chairing, chairing committees. <laughs> just just uh, just two weeks ago, there was there was a uh a report, and I think this is the same report we're talking about, where 34% of Toronto City Council donors uh, have real estate development ties. I mean, yes, that's, that's the report I'm talking about. Yep, yep. And and, and a, executive well, committee, too. Executive yeah, committee. Who was the chair but, of the planning committee. 42% yes. of contributions. And when you look at... A problem. And look at where, and, and, and when you look in that report too, it's interesting the amount that was raised by them, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, my question then became, I know they have to do fundraising themselves, right? Right. So how much money did they actually raise be before they got those donations? You know what I'm saying? And so I really looked at the percentage and yeah, the amount this one made and how much percentage of it was. When you have when you have almost one point three million dollars uh, going to John Tory's mayor, mayoral campaign, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and these guys are holding and, and they're holding positions like they're chair of this committee, but they're also an executive or they're a chair on this. So it's you know um, I'm not saying that. They can't take donations. Like I no. said, limit it. Because if you don't, you already know there's favors being looked at. There's a reason why they're giving you that much. Why do you think they're giving you that much money? First of all. Right? Yeah. That's, I, I think that's one way. And finding ways to pressure these uh, contractors. Because, um, you know, limiting the people that um, overseas people that have property here that don't live here, 
people that are building here and reaping the benefits of, of taking down our people, um, putting up their, um, uh, the management. I feel bad for the management companies. I really do, unless it's their family, the owner's families. And, and we're asking for, um, we'd like to have the owner's numbers and the owner's information in some kind of registry and not right. the management team because right. they don't respond to us. And the management team will tell you, there's nothing I can do about it. I can pass on the information. What happens to all these work orders that people fill out? It's like, you know, it goes to the management, right? Well, or the, uh, it's 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 ridiculous but when it be starts becoming uh, a health and safety issue priority yeah. has to be put on those things and like i said during covid you had emergency this emergency that yeah. so why not start out with an emergency measure yes to start with and then build on that and work from that. My other question too, Abdul, is what about all these office buildings now that are going to be vacant, sitting vacant? Yeah. Those shiny towers that are sitting downtown and all over the city that are going to be vacant now because, yeah. because of COVID and vaccination dilemmas for people. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's, it's scary to me exactly what's going on. And um I just think that we need to start looking at legal ways, mm. legal ways to combat this fight and this um, disrespect and dis, uh, disregard for human life. Um, you know, we got two elections coming. They're going to mm. be out there campaigning. Dougie's already campaigning, but look, that's a mess right there. And like I said, I think that's why we, we know that's a whole nother kettle of fish. That's a big battle. However, we have to start somewhere. And what we've said to the city council is you have a job to do. The onus is on you to do what you can do within your powers of the city bylaws and whatever, instead of waiting for Dougie Ford. Once again, that was Marcia Stone. Welcome back to Beyond the Headlines. Remember, you can join us in the conversation by tweeting at us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. Our final guest is Alejandra Ruiz Vargas. Alejandra is a housing worker originally from Colombia who has been involved with ACORN since 2015. She has led meetings and actions on issues such as childcare, remittances, employment insurance reform, affordable housing, tenant rights, and state of good repair issues. Alejandra has appeared as an opinion columnist for the Toronto Star and ran as the NDP candidate for Beaches East York in the 2021 federal election. My colleague Abdullah spoke with Alejandra on November 1st. Um, how was your day? Pretty good. What are yours? Yeah, it was good. I had uh, I had a class, and uh, besides that, yeah, just just been busy. Uh, did some readings. Um, it's good. So, um, if if you don't mind, Alejandra, can you explain what happened with the inclusionary zone zoning vote on Thursday, and what implications does it have? 
What happened is, um, I want to tell you, first of all, what Acre wanted, isn't it? So I can probably uh, start to describe. We wanted that 20 to 30% of the set aside will be affordable. And affordable for us is 30% of your income. Um, the city agrees and to a certain extent about affordability and to change the definition because they used to have average market rent, 80% mm -hmm. of average market rent. And now um, it's going to be in their words, it's going in their words. And, and why I want to say in their words, because it's, it still needs to be a lot to do. To do. As they say that now it's going to be $912 for a bachelor, meaning that a security guard is going to be able to afford a bachelor. But uh, if we are based these in the inclusionary zoning and we know the inclusionary zoning is all condos and developers that happen in, in Toronto, uh, we know that condos always has fees. So 912 plus the fees is going to be difficult still for people to call it affordable. So um, I could wasn't happy about it. Okay, so, uh, so, so to clarify, yeah. you're saying that 80% of market rent in Toronto was unaffordable to the majority of people. Yes, basically. But now uh, they say that a security, meaning when I say they as the city says that they can, um, that a security guard now can afford a one bedroom, uh, sorry, a bachelor. What was the other person? Oh, a childcare educator or CEA. They say that can have a one bedroom, but this is people without no kids, isn't it? So if they mm -hmm. decided to have kids, what is going to happen to them? So it's pretty frustrated. I, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if you hear my deputation, but my deputation, uh, I was really hoping that I'm going to congratulate the council but I, I, when I saw these numbers, I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do now because I, I prepared a, a deputation for, for doing con congratulations. And now it's like, huh. what are I going to say to you? They are not bold enough. They are still thinking more in the developers, in the industry of the developments mm -hmm. or developers more than us when they are billionaires, isn't it? They are, they are so filthy rich. And we have to suffer every day with the same situation that is no housing, rent increasingly high, demovictions, evictions, renovictions. Fear is in the air for tenants and they don't get it. If they get it, they don't want it. Simple. I don't know where we're going in this city. This city used to you, this city used to be paradise, but it's no longer ago. You used to be able to have a decent apartment and work and, have, and be able to save, but it's not anymore. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at um, seniors that, that are living in these places who still need to afford, besides groceries, you know, elder care is, is expensive. A lot of people are living with disabilities. And, you know, that, that intersectionality is, is forgotten by these people. And, and I think I heard a few people say in their deputations that they sound like a broken record, but it's because no one's listening. Uh, I feel like that. I feel that we sound like a broken record. I feel like, like uh, what we say is like 
coming from an ear and going to the other ear and it's gone. Um, and it's so sad because we see uh, Councillor May Layton and Councillor Gorpers that they really were bold, that they really were champions with the 20 to 30%, but the other people from the council didn't back it, didn't back them. And it's very disturbing because uh, we have seen some councillors there that have been um, friends with Acorn, but uh, that day they, they, they wasn't. I, I guess for people who aren't aware of exactly what the vote was, can you explain what happened on Thursday, October 28th? First of all, uh, well, the 20 to 30% was pushed back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said the set, the set aside was pushed back for another year until they try. The other thing that um, happens is that not all the city is going to be inclusionary zoning or is going to be part of the inclusionary zoning, that this is terrible, like a disaster. Because so people will think I am a second class citizen or what is the issue? But the issue is because, uh, well, this is what the city claims, that they cannot do it because um, those four uh, restricted inclusionary zoning only to the transit areas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's funny, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, uh, little Jamaica has mm-hmm. the Metro Lins is almost going to be finished. So this is a huge overtaking for transit and right. still they're not going to do it. So there are something else there. Mm-hmm. There are something else as, as favorites for the developers, I think so, in my opinion. Um, then the other thing that, that is, super bizarre and terrible is that it wasn't applied to rental. Can you believe mm-hmm. that? It wasn't applied to rental. We had in our hands a tool that can bring wonders to the city. Even though it's not a solution, we are very aware. But right now it's a tool that is going to be the fastest yeah. and it's not going to, to cost to the city no even one penny. Mm-hmm. And to, to be clear, the, what we're talking about here is the city's own feasibility study that showed that it was possible for us to have 20 to 30 percent of all new rental units be considered deeply affordable and despite knowing this they're only aiming for five to ten percent by 2030. Yes their excuse was that when they they did two studies two two feasibility studies and they Mm -hmm. said that the first wasn't making with 99 years and it wasn't make it uh, with um, with uh, uh, the affordability based in income, but mm-hmm. they are lying because the first was making with 99 years. I'm totally uh, sure, 100 percent. Right. And uh, and the the second was made with the income based in income, but really the difference is no a huge a huge deal. So mm-hmm. I don't think so. Why they start like that and. They can they can start even bigger than five to ten percent for sure. No only acorn, no only uh, the feasibility um, study says, but uh, as well Maitri and uh, Steve Pomeroy, that is one of academ- uh, one person from the academy says that is doable, and mm-hmm. as well another person from the academy, I think so, from Montreal, says the same thing. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who had proof based on research that is doable. And we had seen New York and we had seen Chicago and we had seen San Francisco and I can name it and name it. 
Even Montreal, mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. Montreal, is doing until 40% set aside. So I suppose the next question, I, I mean, we, we've had a lot of cynicism uh, for good reason um, recently. What more can we do to push the city to do more to promote affordable housing? And I think one of one of the things is to incentivize politicians to do the right thing because we vote for them. Well, you had a raise. Uh, you raise a good, good point. Uh, the 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 thing that we need, like as a community, is to get together with groups like Acorn. Mm-hmm. Groups like like get together with groups. We need to exercise the right that we had as a, as a, as a resident of Toronto. And the mm-hmm. right that we had as a, as a, as a border, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. uh, we are still in a democracy, so we should utilize that. And we should um, get together in, like a, in an alliance mm-hmm. and press the city, mm-hmm. press the mayor, and of course, uh, educate people, educate your friends, educate your co-workers, educate mm-hmm. your family, tell what is happening because not everybody knows what is happening with affordable housing, the situation, because there are people who are uh, fortunate, they had homes or they had up their apartments and they are no, they know how probably somebody close to have been in this situation. So it's right. good that we educate people that don't know and invite them to become members of organizations like, like ACORN, and other other else. Yeah, it's it's interesting, especially when we petition, when people are walking by on the street and we're asking them to sign a petition, their faces change when you mention affordable housing. And there's a lot of people who who own homes now, but they look at it as though it's their responsibility to help people who can't afford that. And that's you know, it's an extremely popular policy position. So it is. It is, but it could be more popular, could be more, could be number one. And unfortunately for us, it's number one, but for other people, it's not still. So there yeah. is a lot of work that we have to need to do in the ground. And mm-hmm. uh, um, because sometimes people associate affordable housing with um, with poverty, isn't it? Yes. And, yeah. uh, and, 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 and people sometimes associate poverty with welfare and welfare with laziness and you name it. They assign a moral value to people who who don't have money enough to pay their rent, which is not the case here in Toronto. No, because uh, you can even have two jobs and work in the weekend and still is charged sometimes to pay your rent in many cases. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, if I lose this housing that I am right now, Mm. uh, it will like yeah it's going to be very hard for me to live very hard yeah i think a lot of people are in the same situation yes um if i can wrap up with one final question so i think it's an open secret that certain counselors including some who are considered housing advocates have accepted campaign contributions from developers uh how can we stop this this sort of corruption what needs to be done to, to make these sort of open secrets, not secrets at all? Well, I, I, wanna, I wanna start with this comment. Uh, um, <clears throat> even though, because I received money from the developer, really strictly, strictly doesn't mean that I am 
I going to do what the developers wants mm-hmm. that I do. Mm-hmm. However, if I am a counselor who says publicly that I am an advocate housing or house mm-hmm. housing advocate, sorry, how in a good conscience I going to receive money from a developer knowing all the harm that has they had that that they had been done to the city. Of course, mm-hmm. I open brackets because I need to say that this has harm has been um, allowed by the government. Yes. Federal, provincial, yeah. and municipal. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Because if we really had a government who stopped this long time ago, we, we will not be in this mess. But mm-hmm. now, if I am, it's like, it's like, like, um, I, like somebody hurt my child and mm-hmm. I allowed this person to to give money to my household when this person has hurt my child, you know? Mm-hmm. So how come uh, I'm going to receive money from the developers? This is the piece that is very concerning because what you say is not what is really is happening. And mm-hmm. second, the other thing, why we need, how we can stop corruption is that mm-hmm. the, the media and the, um, and the city really take this seriously. They didn't mm. take this seriously because the mayor received a lot of money from developers. Mm-hmm. And because the, the chair, the chair of, of, of the housing, even though, I mean, I, I am knowing that office, isn't it? I don't know what it really, they did favor the developers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, based on what I've seen in Cruz Arizona, yes. But for being fair and try to be fair, isn't it? Because this is something that ACOR uh, tried to do. I think so. The, 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 the city should put a, a law that counselors only can receive $1,000, max $1,000 from, from everybody. Right. Yeah. So that way, you don't feel uh, obligated or you don't feel that, oh, remember that I give you $50,000. What happened with that? Right. Of course. So, and, 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 and the other piece is the moral, the conscious. You cannot say you're an advocate, housing advocate, and receive mm-hmm. money from a developer. Like, this is, for me, for Alejandra, this mm-hmm. is really concerning. Of course. of course. And I think it should be for everybody. It's, I think it is very concerning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Alejandra? Well, and we are in a very dangerous times as a tenants. We are very unprotected, yes. We are lived like in the wilderness. So this Mm -hmm. is why we tenants, we need to get organized. Mm -hmm. This is why tenants, we need to um, speak out. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop to be fearless, even though it's difficult. But we need to stop to be fearless. Don't, don't, don't take this in your own hands. Don't take the problems of the, uh, uh, meaning if you receive something scary from your landlord, don't take it in your own hands. Look for mm-hmm. an organization to help you, to sort mm-hmm. it out and, 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 and get together. And, and we need to get together. So then when they realize that we are really solid, so they probably will start to think different from us. But we need, we need to do a lot of organizing. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, it's important for us to get the name of Toronto Acorn out there because without them, I may have lost my apartment to a red eviction a couple of years ago. So Acorn is, is, has been extremely helpful to a lot of people and uh, we, we need, we need to up the profile a little bit. So that would be excellent. Agree. Agree. Even though we are getting stronger and we had a lot of respect from people that really knows, Mm-hmm. knows what is happening and they are uh, for real not only worse but for mm-hmm. real that what they speak they do you are right we can we can grow more of course of course absolutely thank you so much for your time Alejandra I really appreciate no, this Adula, um, I really um, appreciate all this huh? once again that was Alejandra Ruiz Fargas you have been listening to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. Many thanks to our guests for joining us to discuss affordable housing in Toronto. Today's show was produced by myself alongside Sky Shi, Abdullah Nakfi, and Tori Dockery. The views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, or the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. If you missed any part of the show, be sure to check out our podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're a fan of our show or want to stay up to date with policy issues in Canada, follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. You can also check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to take public policy discussions out of the hallways and onto the airwaves.